Hi, this is Gilbert Gottfried. Our guest this week is an actor, comedian, and one of the most popular and celebrated mimics and impressionists in the history of show business. He's appeared in hundreds of television shows and specials in his 50-year career, including The Ed Sullivan Show, The Judy Garland Show, Rowan and Martin's Laugh, and The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson, The Julie Andrews Show, The Carol Burnett Show, The Late Show with David Letterman, Late Night with Jimmy Fallon, and his own The Rich Little Show, to just name a few. He was also a fixture on the legendary Dean Martin Celebrity Roast, as well as the Copycats, where he co-starred with our previous guests, Marilyn Michaels and Will Jordan. Acting roles include Love American Style, That Girl, The Love Boat, Mannix, Hawaii Five-O, Chico and the Man, Another Nice Mess, The Late Shift. And, Easy for you to say. Yeah, and a film we love to talk about on this podcast, The Finks. In his long and illustrious career, he's worked with a who's who of Hollywood royalty, including... Lucille Ball, Milton Berle, Jimmy Durante, George Burns, Don Rickles, Jack Benny, Jackie Gleason, Jimmy Stewart, Bob Hope, Frank Sinatra, and Orson Welles. And he's still going strong, performing in nightclubs and Las Vegas showrooms, and even authoring a book about his six decades in the entertainment business. Little by little, people I've known and been. Please welcome to the show, the man of a thousand voices, the great Rich Little. Hello, this is Gilbert Gottfried, and tonight we've got Rich Little. <laughs> Perfect. Because <laughs> I swear to you, I, I didn't even tell anybody, I was going to start this interview by saying, can you do an imitation of me? And I can't tell you what an honor it is to to hear an imitation of me from Rich Little. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> <That's> disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm caught in the middle. <laughs> Rich, we were talking about how many presidents you've known and impersonated. Yeah, and it goes it goes back. Tell, tell us. Uh, I do about seven, short list. seven presidents, starting with Kennedy, and going right through. I'm working on Donald Trump, but uh, it, oh, you are. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm working on it all the time. It's. Uh, it's. Uh, you can look like him. You know, you just have to put a beaver on your head and you know, <laughs> <laughs> paint your face orange. You know, but um, the voice is is a little tricky, but it's it's coming. It's coming. Can can you do a quick imitation of every one of the presidents that you've worked for all at once? <laughs> Are you uh, <laughs> yeah, making the guy work, or one after the other, <laughs> <laughs> or your favorite two or three? Well, the first one I ever did was Kennedy, and you remember his famous saying: "Ask not what your country can do for you, but what Maryland can do for me." <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and who was the next president you worked for? Well, I don't know about work for, but um, 
Um, well, entertained in front No, of I know. Impersonated. Yeah. Um, yes. Well, after after Kennedy, you had uh, who? Um, I can't remember. Um, well, LBJ. Did you do LBJ? LBJ. Yes, right. You had to kind of look down like this and, you know, <laughs> pick a dog up by its ears. My fellow Amer- Americans. That was the word. Americans. Mer- my fellow Americans. I come to you today. With a heavy heart. <laughs> Great. And then Tricky Dick. Well, Richard Nixon. Uh, Richard Nixon, you know. I mean, <clears throat> my philosophy is this. Never be mean. Never be cruel. Never be vindictive. Because remember, the toes you step on today may be connected to the ass you have to kiss tomorrow. <laughs> I had a lot of mileage out of Nixon, I'll tell you. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I did him a lot back in the 70s, yeah. I once actually did Nixon in front of him. You did? True story. I was invited to a party he had down in San Clemente, and all of Hollywood was there. I mean, at this time, everybody was Republican back then, you know. And when I arrived at this uh, party that Nixon threw in San Clemente, uh, my act was there. And I'd never met my act before. And they were all there. John Wayne, Jimmy Stewart, Jack Benny, Glenn Campbell, Glenn Ford. I mean, all of Hollywood was there. And Debbie Reynolds threw me at the back of President Nixon and said, Mr. President, Rich is going to do you. And Nixon (laughs) turned around. Nixon turned around and said, like, gonna do me what what's what's going on here he thought maybe i was going to shoot him i don't know but anyway <laughs> um uh i started to do my nixon for richard nixon and i realized as i'm doing it he doesn't know who i'm doing he had no clue who i was doing and i'm doing my nixon <laughs> scary and and he turned to pat his wife pat and said why is this young man speaking in this strange voice Of course. The trouble with Nixon was he had no sense of humor, you know, and he wore that black suit, which he wore his whole life. I think he slept in it and he never took the hanger out of it. You know, I mean, he was kind of square, you know, you I, I heard that Reagan, Ronald Reagan told you that you do a better Ronald Reagan than he does. Yes, he said to me, you know, Rich, you do me better than I do. And it's so, it's so good. I was just thinking that when I pass away, I think they should bury you. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, Rich, I was going to say, there's a great clip on YouTube from 1973, a Carson appearance. Uh, I know you know the one I'm talking about and you're you're talking about Watergate. It's a Watergate routine. Oh yeah. 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 It's fantastic. You do every, you, you do every voice. You do every every character from Watergate. You do yeah. Baker, and you do uh, yes. a Sam Irvin, and it's and yeah. ele- and John Dean. It's a, it's elaborate. Yeah. It's really a wonderful piece of comedy. I watched it well, last night. Well, thank you, but it doesn't mean too much to young people. You know, they don't know who these people are. But um, uh, I appreciate that, and I remember doing that routine. Yeah, yeah. And the other one that I was <laughs> working fun. on was um, Senator Montoya. Montoya, isn't he the one from New Mexico? That's right. And uh, 
Montoya always reminds me that he didn't hear anybody else when it comes to his turn. That's right. He's pretty serious. Yeah. Uh, did you did you take these tapes to your home? Yeah, yes, yes, I did, Senator. Uh, did you play these tapes on a tape recorder? Uh, no, Senator. I, I played them on a washing machine. At what speed? At what speed did you play these recordings? Well, I, I believe it was. Uh... It might have been faster, Senator. I really can't recall. I think it was something like this. Did anyone else hear these recordings when you listened to them? Uh, to the best of my recollection, Senator, there was just the recording technician and myself uh, listening. The recording technician heard these tapes with you? Why is that? Well, because I don't know how to play them on a washing machine. <laughs> well, we'll take a quick break. We're coming right back. And Johnny was eating it up. Well, Johnny, you know, ah, uh, John, Johnny was, ah, uh, you know, sometimes... Uh, sometimes I get so into doing Carson, I actually think that I'm Johnny Carson. And I would go to the dressing room and find myself writing out an alimony check. <laughs> How long did it take you to develop the Johnny Carson imitation? It's a perfect impression. Well, there's an inter- interesting story around that. Uh, when I came down from Canada in 64 to do the Judy Garland show, which Mel Torme got me on, bless his heart, I was a big fan. That's a great story. Great friend of, of Mel Torme's. Anyway, he got me on the Garland show, and, um, uh, you know, that, that started my career. And uh, uh, what was the question you asked me, though? About what? <laughs> Can't remember. How long did it take? How oh, long yeah. did it take Oh, yes. You? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Johnny Carson. Well, I'm, all right. You're right. Um, you see it. I'm sorry, guys. At my age, your your memory's the, the second thing to go. Um, <laughs> no. I, don't, don't ask me what the first is. I, I can't remember. Uh, but anyway. Anyway. Uh, Johnny Carson. Um, anyway, right after the Garland show, uh, which, you know, was my, my start in the U S cause I'm a Canadian and that was the first show I did. And, uh, I was asked to go almost right after I did the Garland show on the tonight show with Johnny Carson. Well, I didn't want to do it because I didn't imitate Johnny. And I thought if I go on the show, I want to be able to imitate Johnny Carson. So I remember I, I taped the tonight show and I, I, I put his voice on a tape recorder and I worked on it and worked on it and I could not get Carson down. And I ended up, I remember one weekend going to the San Diego Zoo, true story. And I was, uh, you know, looking at all the different animals and I suddenly looked over and saw a bunch of ostriches. And I thought, gosh, this is the way you do Johnny Carson. Think of an ostrich. And when you think about it, he, you know, Carson, ah, was kind of, you know, like a, <laughs> like an ostrich, ah, yeah, 
you know, the way he kind of looked around. Actually, Johnny's, a lot of Johnny's mannerisms were like Jack Benny, when you think of it. You know, that, oh, yeah. that sort of, I don't know why he always, but he was always looking around, you know, like somebody was coming after him. Maybe a lawyer. But anyway, that's the way I got to do Johnny Carson. I'd think of an ostrich with the straight back and, you know, all that looking around. And um, that's the way I, I started doing Johnny Carson. And how you counted out how many mannerisms? 22. Carson. 22. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a roast where you demonstrate each one of them for him. That's right. That's right. Yeah, it's great. And yeah, I used that, to love that was it. A, you'd throw in the, you yeah. throw in the Karnak bit at the end too. You do the, oh yeah, ooh, ooh. yeah. I still do Karnak <laughs> in my act. You do. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Karnak is still remembered to this day. I wish I bought that Kar- Karnak hat, which they auctioned off a few years ago. Uh, I had one made, but I wish I had the original one. You know. Used to do the sewers of Rangoon line. <laughs> may, the, may the sewers of Rangoon back up into your breakfast. That's perfect. Something like, may a weird holy man put easy off in your shorts. <laughs> <laughs> and and you knew someone who we talk about a lot on this show, and that's Jack Benny. Oh, I love Jack Benny. Jack was the sweetest man in the world. Um, he was just so nice to me, and he loved my impression of him, you know. Um, and I remember uh, the first time I ever did Jack Benny was on the Steve Allen show. And I was doing my Jack Benny on the Steve Allen show. I did not know that Jack was in the audience. And <laughs> when I finished doing my Jack Benny bit on the Steve Allen show, Jack got up from the back of the theater and came up on stage and said, you're doing it all wrong. That's not <laughs> the way I talk. And, the, and your <laughs> gestures are not right. I said, what do you mean? He said, Rich, when I talk, <laughs> I have four fingers up to my face instead of three. And I always say, well. I don't say, well. I say, <laughs> well. <laughs> well, you know, with four fingers. You know. And he was showing me how to do him. And it was a funny bet. And that's the first time I met Jack Benny. And then later on, we became very good friends. He was one of the greats. I can still see him in Vegas at four o'clock in the morning when we'd come back from, you know, watching a lot of the lounge shows. We'd come back to the Sands Hotel and I can still see Jack playing the nickel machine at, at the Sands <laughs> Hotel. That's At great. four o'clock in the morning, there was Jack playing the nickel machine. I say, Jack, it's four in the morning. Well, what are you doing playing the nickel machine at this time of the morning? He said, Rich, I'm going to keep playing until the string breaks. <laughs> <laughs> and what, what about Benny's partner in crime, uh, George Burns? Oh, George. You were also, friend- you were also George, friendly too. with George. Yeah, that's right. That, that George Burns. Yeah, Nathan, Nathan Birnbaum. Yeah. You know, it's interesting about George. When I did the Judy Garland show, you know, my, my first television show in the States, um, and, and Mel, of course, got me on that show. I remember we were at CBS 
the old CBS on Fairfax. And um, I was in Mel's office and we were going over all the voices I was going to do on the Garland show. Okay. And he was picking out various ones that I should impersonate. And he said to me, Rich, I think your, your George Burns is probably the best impression you do. You know, Mel, Mel had that kind of voice. Like, you know, <laughs> I've that, never seen anybody Mel, do Mel Torme. That mellow, That's great. Mellow voice, you know. Anyway, <laughs> he said to me, I love your George Burns. Has George heard this? And I said, no, no, of course not. I, I've never been to the States before. This is my first trip to California. He said, George has got to hear this. He will flip. He said, let's phone him up right now and you can do it for him. I said, wait a second. You're going to call up George Burns? What am I supposed to say? He said, you're clever. You'll think of something. I thought, well, give me a second here. God, I can't believe you're phoning George Burns. Well, he did. He dialed George's number, and George picked up right away and said, hello. And then he handed me the phone. So (laughs) I picked up the phone, nervous as hell, and I said, hello, George. This this is Rich Little, I am. I've just come down from Canada to do the Judy Garland show. And I do an impression of you. And George said, gee, that's great, kid. I'd love to hear it sometime. And hung up. (laughs) (laughs) And then, and then years later, I I said, do you remember when I came down to do the Garland show and I phoned you up and I said I did an impression of you and you said, I'd love to hear it sometime and hung up? He said, oh, yeah. Well, I, I knew it wasn't me because... I was on the other end of the phone. <laughs> That's great. He was great. George was very clever, right up to the end. Lived to be 100 and never lost his, his mind. Remarkable man. And I, yeah. And I nice heard hear. between Benny and George Burns, it was like practically a love affair. Oh, yeah. The two of them. They were always pulling pranks on each other all the time, <laughs> you know. Uh, I remember... I remember one time Jack told me, he said, I was at a party with George and um, I, I just got up from my chair. I went over to the mantel above the fireplace and took out a cigarette and took out a match. And suddenly George said, hold it, everybody. Hold it. Jack's going to do the famous match trick. And Jack went, what? Jack's going to do the match trick. And Jack said, gee, I just lit lit the cigarette. And George said, oh, new finish. <laughs> Phenomenal. And what was it like working with Judy Garland? Well, it was great for me. I mean, she, uh, you know, is at the top of her form. And, um, uh, but, you know, she had a lot of problems. Uh, I say top top of the form singing wise, but emotionally she wasn't in very good shape, but I didn't know any of this, you see. And, um, they had trouble getting her out of the dressing room and getting her to the set. And, uh, there were a lot of delays. So we didn't finish taping that show till three in the morning because of all the delays and, and, and getting Judy, you know, made up and ready. And then she'd go back to her dressing room and they'd have to wait another half hour and, and um, I didn't know what was going on. They kept saying to me, oh, it's technical. It's technical problems. But it was just getting Judy to uh, get out, get her out there, you know. And they is, finally is tr- did. 
And they finally did. And what made that spot of mine work on that show was that she had never come to rehearsal. So she didn't know what I was going to do. So when she was watching me do all my impressions, it was for the first time. And she was hearing all these impressions and she'd never heard anybody do them before. And so her reaction was just incredible. And so if you look at that, that piece today, you look at her, you don't really look at me for her reaction because every time I did an impression, she just sort of just, Oh my God, she was just amazed. And that's what made the spot. Well, I'll tell you what, Judy, I'd like to read the lyrics to a song. And if you will name out the various people you'd like me to do, we'll give it a try and see what happens. All right. What song do you want to sing? Are you familiar with the man that got away? <laughs> I think I've, I've heard it somewhere before. Well, we could give that a try. What uh, voice would you like me to use? Well, how about Judy Garland? She's easy. <laughs> Easy for you, but difficult for me. <laughs> it's difficult for me, too. <laughs> but but I'd love to hear Jack Benny sing The Man That Got Away. Right. Would that be all right? You start with Jack Benny. Anyway. You know, you know, the night, you see, the night is bitter. And the stars, you see, the stars have lost their glitter. And the winds grow colder. And then suddenly, you're 40. <laughs> George Burns, please. George Burns. All because of the uh, the uh, the uh, man that uh, that got away. No more is eager call. The uh, the uh, writings on the wall. The dreams you dreamed of all gone astray. <laughs> is it true, Rich, that she was uh, she had to be sold a little bit? Uh, it was it was James Mason that sealed the deal for her? That she wasn't a fan of yeah, impressionists. Yeah, when when, um, when Mel Torme played a tape uh, for her of all my impressions, I, I put down about thirty. Um, she wasn't that impressed. She said, I, "I don't like impersonators. It's not my favorite kind of entertainment." And Mel said, "Well, Judy, you've got to listen to this guy. He's great, you know." And so, <laughs> so. She was, she was kind of bored when he was playing this tape of all my impressions. And then when I did James Mason, she suddenly stopped. She said, play that again. And he did. And that's when she lit up. She said, wow, what an impression of James. I love James Mason. And book him, book him on the show. Oh, my gosh, that's great. And so I got on the show because of my James Mason impression, right? Well, a couple of years after that, I ran into James Mason at an AFI tribute in Hollywood. Uh, you know, I think it was to John Houston, and there was James Mason. So I go up to James Mason and I said, Mr. Mason, uh, I, I know you don't know me. My name is Rich Little. I'm, I'm an impersonator, and I, I do an impression of you. And he said, What on earth for? And walked away. <laughs> And so I ran after him and I said, no, no, sir. I just want to thank you for getting me on the Judy Garland show. And he said, what on earth are you talking about? I don't know what you're talking. Get, get, please excuse us. And he walked away. That was it. Wow. Wow. Now we're going to put you on the spot, Rich, because Gilbert does a pretty damn good James Mason. Oh, so, this this is the worst spot to be in. This is like <laughs> I know. This, this is like 
Well, to, look, to me, it's like dancing in front of Fred Astaire. <laughs> we're gonna do. We're gonna do dueling James Masons. Well, that's all right, Gilbert. I want to hear your impression of James Mason. <laughs> <laughs> Do it for the master. <laughs> let's hear. Let's hear your James Mason, okay? Yes. Congratulations, my dear. It seemed to have arrived just in time, haven't I? I, I well, it's no need to be so formal. Uh, I know most of you on a first name basis. <laughs> I Gilbert, that's that's pretty good, but don't give up your day job. <laughs> so much for dancing in front of Fred Astaire. While we wait for Gilbert to find the men's room, <laughs> we promise we'll come back to the show after a word from our sponsor. Don't go away. And now back to the show. And and um, you you worked a lot with Dean Martin. Yeah, yeah, I did twenty four Dean Martin roasts. I was very wow. privileged. It was a great time of my life to do that and to work in front of all my idols. I mean, oh, they had huge names on the on the Dean Martin roast. And to oh, get up ridiculous. in front of Jack Benny and George Burns and, and Orson Welles and Lucille Ball and John Wayne and Jimmy Stewart, I'm telling you, that was a thrill for me. What do you remember about Dean Martin? I remember about Dean that he didn't take anything seriously. He, he sort of sailed through life, uh, you know, doing what he wanted to and nothing impressed him. Uh, and uh, he was uh, very nonchalant about everything. And, and I can remember one time we were doing a roast at the, uh, at the um, MGM where we did most of them. And uh, we'd all met in the green room. All the celebrities were in the green room. And then Greg Garrison, the director said, all right, everybody, places, please. We're going to start shooting uh, the roast in about three minutes. So everybody uh, get to their seats. And so we were walking to the stage. And as we were walking, Dean was beside me. And Dean says to me, Rich, who, who are we honoring tonight? Who, 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 who's the guest of honor? And I went, <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? You don't know who the guest of honor is? Yeah, who 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 are we who are we paying tribute to? I said uh, Michael Landon. Oh, Michael Landon. Oh, that's good choice. Yeah, we're we're gonna have some fun. In other words, Dean did not know three minutes before taping the show <laughs> wow. who they were honoring, and could care less. And I guess when he read the cue cards, he would find out who the guest was. You know, but that that was Dean. So he didn't take anything serious. Yeah. They. Did you must have worked, of course, with Dean's old partner Jerry Lewis? Yeah, I did the Jerry Lewis show. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His variety show. You remember one, one time? You remember? You remember anything about Jerry Lewis? Well, Jerry was the total opposite to Dean. Uh, Jerry uh, liked to do everything, you know, direct, produce, write, and, and you know, he he uh, was in your face all the time and. Uh, uh, very professional, but whereas Dean, uh, Dean just, uh, you know, just didn't, didn't really particularly care about anything. And, uh, that's what made him popular was that it, when things screwed up, that's when, that's when Dean was good. 
Yeah, that was part of the charm. Because he could ad lib, you know, and that's what made Dean so popular. But Jerry was a lot more tense and, uh, and, and not as fun, really, as Dean was. For me, anyway. When you watch... When you watch those Martin shows, his screw ups are, are, are really half the fun of them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and, and him not him not knowing his line and him flubbing a line and I mean it really became that became the, the joke of the show. Well, you know what they used to do was uh, you know, he would intro all intro all the people on the show, right? And sometimes he'd screw up. And sometimes it was funny when he screwed up because he could recover and make it funnier than you know the way it was. But at the end of the show, at the end of the, the taping, when everybody had left, the whole audience, everybody had left, uh, Greg Garrison got Dean back on the stage to go through all the introductions and do them all over cleanly so that in, in case it didn't make sense, they could use that. So he, he was protected. Yep. And you, you said, uh, well, you did a lot of work on the Ed Sullivan show. Yeah. And yeah. tell us Ed about Ed a, Sullivan. Ed was a strange man. The only man, <laughs> the only man I think I ever met in my life who could count up to three and get two of the numbers wrong. Um, <laughs> he, he was um, one sandwich short of a picnic. Let me tell you, you know, the wheel was spinning, but the rodent was dead. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> this guy would freeze to death in front of a brothel waiting for the red light to change. I'm not kidding you. <laughs> Um, Ed, Did he introduce Ed, uh, you by the wrong name, Rich? And you know what? Everybody, well, not everybody, but a lot of people impersonated Ed Sullivan. Jackie Mason did it. John Biner did it. I did it. Will Jordan did it. He was the best because he looked like Ed. And so there were four or five people that, you know, always did their impression of Ed on the show. But to tell you the truth, Ed never liked the impression from anybody. He He didn't think it was funny at all. He... He put on a fake smile for the audience, but he really hated it. He did not like it at all because people were making fun of him, you know. Right. And Ed, you know, Ed, Ed just screwed everything up. The first time I was on the show, he introduced me as Little Richard. <laughs> and, you know, this was typical of Ed, you know. <laughs> he just couldn't read the cue cards. He was worse than Dean. I mean, Ed... Ed was on another planet. He really was. He, he was, he was not too friendly, and um, I was terrified of him. Uh, to tell you the truth, most most people were because, you know, a lot of people thought he was uh, Mister Show Business. You know that he, he was uh, very, uh, you know that he knew everything, and he really didn't. He uh, he couldn't read. He couldn't he couldn't tell a joke. He couldn't dance. He couldn't sing. Right. But he was a star. <laughs> Well, we we had Will Jordan here, uh, Rich, and uh, Did you? he was here. He was on, yeah, he was on with us a couple of weeks ago, and he told us something funny. This when someone said, "You've got to do more. You've got to expand that that oh, that yeah. Sullivan impression." And he said, "But Ed Sullivan doesn't do anything." <laughs> you know, Will Jordan could do um, Ed Sullivan better than Ed. Will Jordan's yeah. impression of Ed was uncanny because he could look yeah. like him, you know, and um, he was the best. Uh, I'm I'm pleased to to hear that he's still with us. So that's great. He must be getting on. Yeah, huh? yeah. He lives a few blocks from here. Will was very helpful to me in my early part of my career. He was very very helpful. I'll always be grateful to him. I think he taught me how to do James Mason. As a matter of fact, he did. 
Wow. Oh, he did a great he one. He did a great yeah. James great. Mason. They used to do this from the Seventh Veil. And he did Sabu, hey. Sabu, the elephant yes, boy. The oh, best. yes. He did it yes. for us, the best Sabu in the business. Yeah, well, there's no money in Sabu, but he did it. <laughs> <laughs> we, he was talking, and Gilbert had asked him and said, you know, in those days, the impressionists were also very visual. Because True. Will's act was also, was it was about the walk. It was about the mannerisms. It was. Right. And he could look like Clark Gable, too. Yeah. Yeah. Boy, when you can look like somebody, it really helps the impression a lot, you know? Yeah. And and something I've noticed in the past few years, there are a lot of people who have an ear for voices, and they'll be on Saturday Night Live and shows like that, and they'll do impressions. But the idea of the out-and-out impressionist who goes on stage and, you know, if Humphrey Bogart was here. He might, it might go something like this. That you don't see. Well, yeah, that's th- true. Those guys. Have- well, you know, we haven't got voices like we used to. That's for sure. Right. You know, I mean, how can you imitate a lot of the actors of today? How do you do George Clooney? How do you do Matt Damon? How, how do you do Brad Pitt? I mean, I don't know how you do those people. To tell you the truth, I'd rather do Angelie Jolie, to tell you the truth. But <laughs> yeah. yeah, Gilbert, too. Yeah, I'd never be lonely if I could do her, or would I? <laughs> I'd end up jump, jumping myself. But anyway, um, the, the, a lot of the actors of today are, are tough to do. I think because a lot of the actors from the 40s and 50s were larger than life, and they were always the same in every movie. But actors today play different parts, so it's hard to pin down a voice, you know. So it's a little more difficult today. Yeah, you don't have a Cary Grant, a Jimmy Stewart, a John Wayne. You don't have those distinctive voices. That's true. Absolutely. Or, or, or the ma- or the mannerisms. Oh, for that matter. Speaking of Cary Grant, you once called up Don Rickles as Cary Grant. Oh, I love that one. Oh yeah, that's a true story. Uh, Frank Sinatra was uh, going up to play uh, Harris in Lake Tahoe. And he was bringing some of the family with him. And he wanted to get into the suite, the master suite up there, before he started his engagement. And Don Rickles was in the suite by himself. So Frank wanted to get in the suite and thought they could put Don in a single room for one night. Well, Don wouldn't get out of the room for Frank Sinatra. <laughs> he, he refused. <laughs> he says, he said, <laughs> he said, Frank. Why don't you sleep in the lobby? Anyway, um, uh, he he had all kinds of people. Frank phoned a lot of people to phone Don to see if they can get him out of the suite. And he phoned Tommy Lasorda and he phoned, oh, I don't know, a whole, a whole bunch of people. And so I guess Don got, got word of this and knew that people were phoning him to get him out of the suite. And Frank phoned me and he said, See if you can get Don out of the suite. I said, well, as who? He said, I don't know. Phone him up as Cary Grant. And because Cary's a big star, maybe he'll listen to Cary Grant and get out of the suite. So I phoned up Harris, got Don's number, and they phoned his room. And I said, hello, Don. This this is Cary Grant. And Don said, "Uh, oh, hi, Rich. How are you doing? (laughs) 
working. <laughs> Got the hair from me. Yeah. <laughs> Why don't you put your teeth in backwards and bite yourself to death? Anyway, um, so Don was prepared for that. And everybody that phoned, he just totally put them down and never got out of the suite. Frank had to stay in the single with two other people. Do you believe that? I don't believe that. But that's what I'm told. And what was what was Don Rickles like? Don was, uh, and still is, one of the greats. There's nobody, I don't think, funnier um, that I've ever met in my life uh, than Don Rickles. On some of those roasts, we would laugh until we cried because he just had no mercy. He didn't care who you were, royalty, presidents. He just went for the jugular, you know, and all in fun, of course. But um, he, he, um, his mind was just incredible. And I, I used to think that Don was probably two thoughts ahead of everybody else. When he was saying something, he was not only thinking of the next line, but the line after that. And so that's why he was so quick, because his mind was so sharp, you know? You couldn't, you couldn't phase Don Rickles. I think the only time I ever saw Don Rickles really at a loss was the night, did you ever see this, where um, Don hosted The Tonight Show the, and Johnny was off, and he broke oh, his cigarette box. Oh, when he broke his cigarette oh, lighter. Yes. Yeah, yeah, sure. The, the cigarette that's box a great one. that held the cigarettes. Oh, the box. That's right. It was and, the box. And Johnny said to Ed McMahon, my, my cigarette case is, is broken. What, what happened? And, and Ed said, well, Don Rickles broke it. And so he picked it up, walked across the set, across the hallway to where Don was filming some show, and walked right on the set while they were shooting and said, did you break my cigarette case? What the hell happened here? And Don was at a loss. Never saw yeah, that. That's a great clip. Yeah, that's, that's a great CPO clip. Sharky. That's yeah, right. He was doing great. CPO Sharky. Yeah. Yes. CPO Sharky down the hall. It's great. Yeah, Johnny right. takes the camera and the long cord. You remember yeah. this? And they, oh, they, yes. they go down yes. the hall and sorry, just, wonderful. Come, come with me. Come with me. <laughs> yeah, it's wonderful. That was, that was typical Johnny. That was so typical Johnny to do that, you know? Outrageous, but funny. And among your legendary friends was Jimmy Stewart. Oh yeah, Jim, Jim, uh, I, I, I just, I just, I just adored Jimmy Stewart. I, I, there was nobody nicer than than Jimmy. You know, one time, um, <laughs> I used to, I used to go over to Jimmy's house. He lived on Roxbury Drive in Beverly Hills, and I would go over occasionally, and we'd have tea or a sandwich or something. And I remember one time I was over at Jimmy's and I was there for about an hour and a half. And he said, Rich, I'll I'll, I'll walk you out to your car. And I said, oh, thanks, Jim. So we walked out, uh, you know, the front and up the driveway. And um, as I was just getting to my car, a tour bus pulled around the corner full of people. And And the driver said, oh, my God, this is Jimmy Stewart's house. But there is Jimmy Stewart right there. Good Lord, Jimmy Stewart and Rich Little is with him. Oh, my God. Rich Little and Jimmy Jimmy, what is Rich doing at your house? And Jimmy said, uh, he comes by about once a month to get his batteries recharged. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. And then another time, I got to tell you, I got to tell you another quick story about Jimmy. I love this story. I said to Jimmy, I said, 
Gosh, you know, you live here in Beverly Hills, no gated community or anything. Anybody could get to your front door or walk up your driveway. And you said, yeah, yeah, they could. And I said, it, it must be a little disturbing sometimes with all these tour bus and these people driving by. And he said, yeah, yeah, it can be. He said, one afternoon, a truck pulled up in front of my place. And, and a bunch of Mexicans got out of the truck and they put a they put a blanket on my lawn, and then they brought they bought they brought salad out and and wine out and chicken out, and they proceeded to have a picnic on my lawn. And I said, "Well, Jim, did you call the police?" "No, no, I I well, I, I couldn't do that. Seemed seemed like a nice family. No, no." I said, "Did you tell them to get the hell out of here?" "Well, no, Rich, I I couldn't do that. I no, no." I said, "Well, what did you do?" He said, well, I just um, walked around to the back of the house and, and, and turned the sprinklers on. <laughs> fantastic. Isn't that a great story? I love that. Uh, Can you imagine how fast, the- how fast they must have left? <laughs> <laughs> and and you, you worked with Groucho Marx. No, I never worked with Groucho Marx. You never did. No, wow. I never did. Never met him in my life. No, no, imitated him, but never, never worked with. <laughs> I worked with. I worked with Jimmy Durante. I worked with. Um, well, I didn't work with, but I met. I met in my life. I met uh, James Cagney and Edward G. Robinson. Yeah, tell us. That's tell a, us about that's a funny. G. That's a funny story. Edward G. Robinson. Got to tell you, it's in my book. If you buy my book, yeah. this is in my book. Yeah. I was well, invited. The book again, real I quick, was Rich. invited to a party at Jim Backus's house, right? Who lived in uh, uh, Beverly Hills or somewhere, and um, I was invited to this party, right? And it was full of people. I mean, there were hundreds of people there, and Edward G. Robinson was there, right? Well, the noise was unbelievable because there were about a hundred people in this room, right? And um, somebody said uh, to Edward G. Robinson, "Rich Little is here, and he does an impression of you." And, and, and so everybody gathered around and said, Rich, you got to do an impression of, of Edward G. Robinson for him. And I realized I couldn't possibly, it was, it was too noisy to do Edward G. Robinson. And besides Edward G. Robinson was pretty well deaf, you know, he, he couldn't hear. So here I was standing in front of little Edward G. Robinson, who looked up at me and went, all right, let's, let's hear it. Let's hear it. And I realized nobody's going to hear anything. It's too noisy and he can't hear anyway. So what I did was I just did the motions. I didn't, I, nothing came out of my, my mouth. <laughs> and when my lips stopped moving, Edward G. Robinson went like this. I gave you the okay. <laughs> Perfect impression. Couldn't hear a damn thing. <laughs> Couldn't hear anything. You've, done at least three jobs that were for sad reasons uh like david niven yes it was called back to do the last oh yeah so what 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 happened there with david niven and well uh, pink panther? i i i dubbed for david niven for the trail of the pink panther and the curse of the pink panther and by this time poor david niven had lost his voice he had lou gehrig's disease and uh you really couldn't understand anything he said in the movie. And um, I dubbed for him. I, I learned how to do his voice. 
And um, uh, Blake Edwards had me come into a studio, and I I lip synced all all his uh, all his dialogue for the for the two movies. You wanted to know if Clouseau questioned me about the theft of the Pink Panther. Yes. 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 He questioned me. He did. Oh yes. He questioned me three days after the robbery on the 3rd of August, to be precise, at 1.15. He stayed for lunch. And fed in the pool. But why in the world would he think that you would know anything about the theft of the Pink Panther? Oh, come on, George. I mean, I'm sure the sergeant is totally up to date on my somewhat checkered career. Right, Sergeant? Ah. <laughs> I mean, after all, a man who for almost 30 years has been thought to be the notorious phantom, the cleverest jewel thief in all of Europe. But, Uncle Charles, it was never proven that you were the phantom. No. No, that you took over or I left off. But, George, you can understand why he was suspicious and why he wanted to question me. Oh, sure. And then when he was satisfied that I was completely innocent and couldn't possibly have had anything to do with it, because we were in Barbados with George at the time of the robbery. Then, Inspector Clouseau took off for Valencia. Valencia. Ah. <laughs> well, that leaves me with just one question. You said Valencia. It's in Spain. Ah! That Valencia! <laughs> what he was hoping, Blake Edwards was, that when he got uh, David Niven back in the... Um, in the studio, in the recording studio, after the movie was completed, they would go over his lines a hundred times until they got it right. But by this time, it was worse. So um, I dubbed uh, his voice for those two movies, and also I did Peter Sellers, so a couple of lines of, of Clouseau, too. But doing David Niven was a great thrill for me because I admired the man greatly. And I remember I said I said to, to Blake, I said, well, if you ever run into David Nevin, you know, tell him I, it was a privilege to do his voice, you know, and, and I would be happy to come over to Spain where he's living and follow him around for day-to-day -day conversation. <laughs> and you dubbed Cagney too, uh, Rich, for, um, was it Terrible Joe Moran? No, no, I didn't, I didn't dumb Dub Cagney, I dubbed um, Tony Curtis for a movie. Oh, Tony Curtis. Tony Curtis. Uh, Tony. <laughs> to Tony had made some, some Italian epic, some movie, and they didn't pay him, and he walked off the set. And the producer phoned me and said, do you do Tony Curtis? I said, doesn't everybody? And he said, can you, can you, can you do these lines and we can release this movie? And I said, well, I guess I can. And so I did it. And I remember Tony phoned me and said, Rich, did, did you dub me for this picture? I said, yes, I did, Tony. Did they pay you? I said, yeah. Up front? I said, yeah. Oh, well, good. You got paid for it. I said, yeah. <laughs> oh, good. Send half the money to me. <laughs> I, you know what I said to him? I, I love you, Spartacus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because they, they have it listed that you did Cagney. Yeah, there's bad information on no, the I internet. Did, I did a, a Hawaii Five-0 where I played a murderer as James Cagney. That I did. Okay. But that I didn't, must be. I, 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 I didn't uh, do James Cagney per se. 
I just did. I also uh, saw Borgnine. Did you did you, did did, you loop I, Ernest Borgnine? Yes, I did. I did Ernest Borgnine for a cartoon he was doing that he never finished. Okay. And I went okay. in the studio and finished that for him. I loved Ernie Borgnine. Oh, what a wonderful man. Can, can, can we hear some of your Ernie Borgnine? <laughs> well, the first time I ever met Ernie Borgnine, I think I met him on Hollywood Squares for the first time. And I said to him, oh, my gosh, it's a pleasure to meet you. I mean, I was an usher at the Elgin Theater on Ottawa, Canada when I was 18. And I watched Marty 23 times. And um, I just loved the movie. And I know a lot of the dialogue. And he said to me, you do? And I said, yeah. He said, well, let me hear it. And I did a speech from Marty for him. And um, he listened. And uh, I could tell that he didn't remember the lines. But I did, hello, hello, is is this Mary Feeney? Well, this is Marty Paletti. I wonder if you recall me. I'm sort of a stocky guy. The last time we met was in the Archeo Chester on West Palm Square. You, you were with a friend of yours, and I was with a friend of mine called Angie. Yeah, well, this, this was about a month ago. And I was just wondering if you were busy on Saturday night. Yeah, this Saturday. Well, how about the Saturday after that? And the Saturday after that? Well, that's okay. I, I understand. Yeah, well, I'm sort of a heavy set guy, sort of a fat guy. You remember me? You know, and I was doing all these lines from Marty, and Ernie said to me, well, I don't remember one of these lines. I don't remember that speech at all. I said, Ernie, you won an Academy Award for this picture. You don't remember the lines from Marty? Well, I make so many movies. How can I remember all the lines? I said, but boy, Patty Chayefsky wrote it. It's brilliant, you know. But uh, that was my first encounter with Ernest Borgnine. Wow. I never heard anybody do Ernest Borgnine that, that, before. That's great. That's a great imitation. And I never heard anybody do Mel Torme. <laughs> also fantastic. Just roasting on an open fire. <laughs> the Velvet Fog. Mel Torme. The Velvet Fog. Yeah, he you hated know, going that. Back to he the, hated that. Oh, he hated what, it? One, oh, yeah. I didn't like that like, label at all. What? I I heard, and this is probably wrong too. I know you imitate him, but they say you were called in to do a voiceover as uh, Gene Kelly. That's right for a Christmas special. Oh, yeah, yeah. He did a Christmas special late in his life, and he was the host. And they showed a lot of film clips from Christmas movies, and uh, he had laryngitis. And the producer said, "I don't think we can release this. You can't understand him." So I, I dubbed his voice for that. And the only condition was that I didn't tell anybody, which I didn't. But now that he's passed away and it's years later. But I, I remember doing, doing Gene Kelly for this Christmas special. And Gene had kind of a high voice like this, you know. We're going to show you a lot of Christmas specials that have been made down through the years. And I think you're going to enjoy them. I mean, that's the way, that's the way I think Gene Kelly sounded. That little high voice, you know, I'm singing in the rain. It was a beautiful voice, wasn't it? Yes. <laughs> tell, tell us a little bit about Durante, Rich. Well, Jimmy Durante, I, I worked uh, with Jimmy Durante on a, um, some special. Um, I'm trying to think what it was for. And uh, 
All I can remember is, I think uh, I was at at the end of the at the end of the special. The whole cast was lined up, and everybody had to sing one line of a song. And uh, we were all lined up. I don't know what the song was, and Jimmy was, of course, on the show, and I think the Lennon sisters. That was the show. Anyway, we're all lined up, and we all had to sing one line. Well, Jimmy was at the end, and he didn't know his line. So he kept wandering around behind all of us going, does anybody know my line? What, what, am I, what am I supposed to say? Does anybody know what my line is? And everybody went, uh, no, not really. We're trying to remember our own line. Somebody's got to know what I say. I can't believe it. And then he kept walking back and forth saying, anybody know my line? What I'm supposed to say? Nobody paid any attention to him. So finally they got <laughs> wow. to the end of the line and Jimmy Durante was supposed to sing and the music was still going and he went, I don't remember my line. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. <laughs> tell, tell, tell Richard Jimmy Durante's story because it's worth telling. I, I remember hearing a story that in Jimmy Durante's last years, he right. became a total hermit. Yeah. And he wouldn't come out of the house and no one knew if he was alive or dead. And a friend of mine found out where he lived, knocked on the door and he hears, who is it? And he goes, uh, oh, I, I, I want to meet Jimmy Durante. And from behind the door, he hears, he ain't here. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, that reminds me of, of something that it. happened with Jack Benny. Uh, Jack Benny phoned me up one time and said, Rich, do you do an impression of Liberace? And I said, yeah. <laughs> Why? He said, I've got a line in my television show, and it's supposed to be Liberace on the phone. I said, yeah. And I need the line. Could you, could you do it for us? And I said, well, Jack, why don't you get Liberace to do it? He'll do it for you. You know, he loves you. He said, I did. I did have Liberace recorded, but he doesn't sound like him. <laughs> and I said, what? I played it back and it doesn't sound like him. So would you do it? And I said, well, what does it sound like? And I guess Liberace was talking in his normal voice. So it probably sounded like this. Hi, Jack. This is Liberace, and listen, it's uh, great to be on your television show, you know. Well, when I did it, I went, Hello, Jack. This is Liberace. Listen, I'm really excited, you know, to be on, on your television show. And Jack said, That's it. That's the voice I want. That other one, that other one stinks. <laughs> now, I've... Uh, I've heard a lot of stories like that where you get so used to the imitations that like the real people are a disappointment. That's true. That can be very true. Yeah. People. Uh, well, it was like when Vaughn Meter, do you remember, did the uh, Kennedy album, oh, sure. the first oh, yeah. family yeah, first, way first back family. in the sixties. Boy, that was a terrific album on, on Kennedy. Right. And and then people started to say that, well, that um, not that um, 
uh, what's his name? Um, um, I was talking about um, uh, Vaughn Meter. Meter. Vaughn Meter, Vaughn Meter sounds Meter. more like Kennedy than Kennedy does. So when I did my impression of of Kennedy, I had to do Vaughn Meter doing Kennedy before people recognized it. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. I had but, to do the impression. I I heard they once hired Peter Lorre, and they were teaching Peter Lorre to do a Peter Lorre imitation. That's funny. Yeah. And now you do a great bit, if I could put you on the spot, of Humphrey Bogart in the Kane Mutiny. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did His that. speech uh, I, with... I did that with the ball bearings. Yeah, I did that on copycats. Yeah. That whole speech. Yeah. And on yeah. Carson. It's it's in that Carson yeah, I did, clip, I did too, it, the one with I the Watergate. I did it on, on The Tonight Show, too, yeah. And Johnny loved to do Humphrey Bogart. Actually, Johnny liked to do impressions, you know. Especially Reagan. Johnny Carson did a lot of, of Ronald yeah. Reagan. And it wasn't yeah. bad either. It was pretty good. But um, he did a bogey. And then I did uh, the speech, the famous speech, you know, from from the K-Mutiny, Captain Quig. I, I tried to run the ship properly, but they, uh, they fought me at every turn. I take the broken tow line, defective equipment, no more, no less. But uh, they encourage the crew to uh, scoff at me and circulate wild stories. I was to blame for Mr. Merrick's poor seamanship. Ah, but the strawberries, they laughed at me, but I proved beyond geometric logic and deduction that a duplicate key to the wardrobe box did exist, and I, I would have found that key if the crew hadn't been so disloyal and interrupt things and call me insane and things like that. I mean, it's a great speech because he sort of loses his cool. <laughs> Wonderful. And Bogey was always great, wasn't he, when he was a little paranoid? I mean, as he was in the K-Mutiny and Treasure of the Sierra Madre. Oh, Sierra, yeah. I was thinking of Fred Dobbs, yeah. Fred ah. Dobbs. Same, yeah. same, yeah. same character, really. Yeah. He was good at yeah. that. Yeah. Tell us about the copycat since you since you brought it up. Oh, we talk about it a lot. We, on it's this come show. up on this show a ton of times. We also had Marilyn here. Oh, I love Marilyn. She's great. Yeah, both. Yeah, Marilyn and Will both live not too far from where we're recording this, and uh, oh, we were reminiscing great. about the copycats. I've heard you say you guys brought out the best in each other to the point that there were friendly rivalries. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, some people would be cast to do certain voices, and people would, uh, you know privately say to themselves, hey, wait a minute, I do them better than he does. But nobody really complained, you know. Um, we knew Will Jordan was going to do Ed Sullivan because nobody could do that better. Um, but you know, once in a while, there was a little rivalry. You know? I remember once we did a, a, a takeoff on Dean Martin where three people played Dean Martin. And, of course, we were all in our dark tuxes with the red hanky doing our Dean. And Frank Gorshin showed up in a gray tux, a light gray tux, so he would be noticed. And and Greg, <laughs> and uh, and and um, I forget the uh, director of the show um, uh, said, "Wait a minute, oh. uh, I, oh, Dean doesn't wear a gray tux; he wears a, a dark a black tux." And and I remember Frank said, "No, that's not right. I was at a party once in Beverly Hills." And Dean was wearing a gray suit. <laughs> I've never seen Dean in a gray suit. I've uh, never seen Dean. I. I've never seen Dean in anything 
but but a tux on TV. I don't think he ever wore anything but a tux, did he? Not like when you think about it. I don't think he did. And Dean wasn't really a drinker, they say. Well, he did. He drank, but he didn't drink as much as Frank and Sammy. No way. Yeah. No, no. Uh, but he did drink. Yeah. The only time I ever saw <laughs> the only time I ever saw Dean really under the weather, and that's putting it mildly, was at the um, first Reagan inauguration that Frank produced. And uh, Dean was backstage, and he was totally bombed. I mean, he couldn't, <laughs> he couldn't even talk. And he wanted to go on, and Frank told him, you're not going on. You know, go back to the hotel. And he got very upset, and he, he didn't go on. But Frank saved him, because if he'd gone on, he would have embarrassed himself terribly. But that's the only time I ever saw Dean under the weather. We, we have, this is a wild card, Rich. You, we, we put it in the intro because it's a movie that's come up on this show because it's a strange movie. And oh, my God. Every Hollywood legend from Xavier Cougat to uh, Fritz Feld and Can- Edgar Bergen and Pat, Pat O'Brien and Johnny Weissmuller has a movie called The Finks. Do you the remember Finks. this? Hunts Hall. P-H-Y-N-X. Do you remember being in this movie? No. No. I don't <laughs> Thanks. You are on, 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 on IMDb. You're credited as voice in a box. Voice in a box. Yeah, the Finks. How do you describe the, it, Gilbert? The only, sort voice of a- I ever, the only voice I ever did in a box was Senior Wences. Remember the man <laughs> in the box? Sure, sure. I, 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 don't, I don't think that's true. I mean, it may be, but I, I don't recall my head. Wait a minute. Um... Oh, yeah, yeah, I did do something uh, not too long ago where I did do somebody in a box. Yeah, I did Nick, Nixon, Nixon in a box. It's just his head. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, that was, was, was that on Futurama. On Futurama. 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 Yeah. Now it's coming to me. But anyway, um, I, I do remember, I do remember my head in a box. Yeah, it was Nixon, Futurama. Yeah, yeah. And, and I did Nixon. I, I never saw it. Did it come out? Oh, yeah, I did see that. That was very fun. The Futurama? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, on on the copycats, I've heard strange stories about David Fry. Right. I mean, great mimic. Yeah. But I heard, like, as a person, there wasn't a person there. If he wasn't a voice. David Fry was a very talented man. Uh, he did uh, some voices that were incredible. Uh, one of them was Nixon, which I did at the same time, but I didn't, I didn't do it like him. He did it more of a cartoon. But I can remember uh, David stopping me one day on the street, got out of his car and walked over, and I rolled down my window, and he said, stop doing my Nixon. And then he got back in his car and drove away. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> but David, but yeah, David, I- Fry, David Fry... I said he was talented, which he was, but he was strange. You're absolutely right. As a matter of fact, I can remember we did a copycast with him, the first one we ever did, which was done in New York before we we went to uh, England to do them. And uh, the first first one, David Fry was on. I can remember David Fry, before he went on stage to do whoever he was impersonating, he had to throw up in a bucket backstage before he went on. Can you imagine that? Wow. Wow. Yeah, yeah I can remember that. You, you get ready. And David was going to make his entrance, you know, to a scene, and you'd hear 
coming from back set. And you go, holy cripes. <laughs> and speaking I, speaking of eccentric, you you Paul Lynn was somebody that didn't <laughs> that, that I've heard you say wasn't uh, wasn't in love with your uh, no Paul your impersonation. Lynn, Paul of Lynn him. did not like my impression at all. I I don't know whether it was a sort of a joke or what, but every time I would do Paul Lynn on a Dean Martin roast or on Hollywood Squares, they would always cut to a shot of him for his reaction, as they do. You know, when you imitate somebody, if they're there, they cut for a reaction. So every time I would do Paul Lynn, they cut for his reaction, and he'd go, who's that? Who's he doing? Oh, that's disgusting. Get a day job. Oh, God. I mean, he just didn't like it. He just didn't. I don't know why. Maybe I exaggerated yeah. him too much. I don't know. You know, but he was funny on Hollywood Squares. Oh, my God. Funny people man. Used, people used to fall out of the square, you know. They, they were laughing so hard. We lost a lot of good people on that show, you know. <laughs> um, he was he was funny, Paul. You know, Paul, can you get an elephant drunk? Oh, sure, but you'll never get it up to your apartment. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Rich, I'll tell you one thing. Uh, I've never been sorrier that we didn't have video for this podcast for our for our listeners because so much of what you've done has been wonderfully visual. Oh, nobody's seeing me? Well, it's no. it's audio only. We've, we're seeing you, but we've been recording it with, with cell phones. Oh, I see. And we'll we'll put some of it up on social media, but we, the, the the podcast itself is sad to say okay. is only audio. Well, maybe I got a break right. there. <laughs> <laughs> there was so, I you wish know, I wish our listeners could have seen your your expressions and your faces. Well, you know, when you're when you reach my age, you want the lights to be very dark and no cam no camera <laughs> at all. No camera at all is good too, you know. I'd also just love to say to our listeners, if they can find, because we talked a lot about the, the clip with uh, Judy Garland, it's on YouTube. If our listeners can find it, not only do you do that great J Jimmy Stewart bit from uh, Anatomy of a Murder, but on there is just the impressions of people like Jack Hawkins and Lloyd Bridges. Right. Fred and McMurray. People that, people that, yeah, Fred McMurray, people that nobody does. Yeah, well, that's so it's, why it's I wonderful. got on the show. You know, there's yeah. an interesting story. Quickly, I'll tell you about the Judy Garland show. Sure. That was my first show, as I did, you know, as I said earlier on, on, on uh, Judy Garland. And uh, I can remember that my uh, manager got my suit pressed before the show, right? And this was um, a couple of blocks from, uh, from uh, CBS. And he was bringing my suit back so I could get into it and tape the Judy Garland show. He lost the pants. They came off the hanger. So when he showed up in the dressing room 20 minutes before show, there were no trousers. And I went, I'm, I'm going on the Judy Garland show and I have no trousers? He said they were on there when I left the, the, the dry cleaners. I don't know what happened to them. They must have slipped off. I went, oh, my God. So we went to Gary Smith, you know, the producer, and said, um, I don't know whether I can do the show, Rich. There's no pants. And he said, he started laughing. I said, no, this is true. He had no trousers. So we had to get a page and, and we had him take his trousers off and give them to me just in time to do the show. And they didn't fit very well. And they had to shoot me from the knees up because the trousers only came up to my middle of my ankles. 
So in that clip, you're wearing somebody else's pants. Yes. Yes. And you don't see it. Can I hear your Lloyd Bridges? Ah, Lloyd Bridges. Ah, ah, Lloyd Bridges. You know, skin diving can be fun, but it's also dangerous. So, uh, wear a swimsuit, huh? We'll see you next week (laughs) on Sea Hunt. And I remember, I remember way back when I was doing Lloyd Bridges, right? I was in the theater one night sitting next to Lloyd Bridges. And he leans over and he says, Ah, are you Rich Little? I said, yeah. Ah, I hear you do an impression of me. Huh? Is that right, huh? I said, yeah, I do. Huh? He said, "Uh, like to hear it. And I said, well, I'm doing it right now. And he said, "Uh, well, that doesn't sound like me. I said, it doesn't? No, I, uh, there's nothing uh, characteristic about my voice, huh? So I just wanted you to know, know that, huh? Okay, huh? I said, huh? He said, yeah, that's right. Let, let's let's plug the website, Rich, richlittle.com, uh, where people can see your show dates. They can buy the book on Amazon.com. Uh, the name of the book is uh, Little by Little, People I Have Known and Been. Mm-hmm. And there's and a, lot of sketches, uh, it's, a lot of sketches in it because oh, I do a lot of artwork, you know. I Yes, I, I was going to say, and if they go to the go to the website, they can buy your artwork, your prints. There are thirty pictures that I did in the in the book, thirty portraits of all the people I yeah. talk about. Yeah, yeah, they're great. And they're it, on your website it's, too. It's not a bio, but it's just funny stories that have happened, uh, you know, with me and a lot of celebrities down through the years. And I've been very, very blessed to have worked with some of the greatest stars of all time. What an era that and, was, the seventies. When you think of all the variety shows. There were on the air. I just went from yeah. one to another. Every week I did another variety show. And today, there oh, are yeah. none. There are none, really. Yeah. yeah. And say the name of the book again. It's called Little by Little, People I Have Known and Been. Is the hey, name of the book. Have I Rich Little and your website again? Uh, rich Little, richlittle.com. And you can pick it up, the book, at uh, amazon.com. Yeah. What a journey you've had, Rich, from a from a movie usher in uh, in Ottawa, seeing those people on the big screen, and then getting to work with almost all of them. That's right. I've been very blessed, and came down, did the Garland show with short pants. <laughs> <laughs> so this has been Gilbert Gottfried's amazing colossal podcast with my co-host Frank Santo Padre, and now, uh, Rich, can you say? Uh, this is Gilbert Gottfried saying thank you, Rich Little. Uh, this is Gilbert Gottfried saying thank you, Rich Little. And if my voice ever <laughs> clears up, I'll be out of work. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for watching, everybody. We'll see you soon. This was a joy for us. Thank you, buddy. Boy, you, you, and, you and Phyllis Diller together would be a riot, wouldn't it? Boy, to be impersonated by Rich Little. It won't get better in yeah. your career. Yeah. Well, thanks, Thank guys. You, I really, really enjoyed talking to myself. Uh, it was a thrill, man. This this was like like witnessing a Rich Little special. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks guys. Rich. Thank you. We'll see you. Bye.